I'd like you to turn to um, Luke chapter 19, verse 28 to 40. I think sometimes Palm Sunday can be a little bit neglected because we have Good Friday coming and then we have Easter Sunday. That sometimes maybe in our thinking we think, well, Palm Sunday's okay, but really it's next weekend where it happens. But may I just say, I think it's very important for us to have an understanding of what's happening on Palm Sunday. For this reason, it helps prepare us for the rest of the Easter story. And so, you know, we have those almost three parts. We have the coming of the King to Jerusalem. Then we have the death of the King. And then we have the resurrection of the King. And every part of our body wants to get to Easter Sunday. But you know, the process is very, very important for us. So hopefully you found Luke 19. Now I'm going to read from verse 20, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden on. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent ahead went and found just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus through their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. When he he came near to the place, the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices and for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. He said, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build embankments against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. May I repeat the last line? Because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now, that both the speaker and hearers alike will be conscious of your Holy Spirit's presence. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned, it's sometimes we may rush ahead a little bit to get to Good Friday and our devotions on Good Friday morning we will be here. Trust you'll be able to come and join us. And then on Easter Sunday, we'll be enjoying the joy of the resurrection. But this is a very important part of the story. And I'm going to give it three headings so you'll know how we're progressing. First is the preparation for the king. And then we will have the procession of the king. And then lastly, the passion of the king. 
Very simply, Jesus is going to make this entrance into Jerusalem. Um, the crowds were expecting great things from him, particularly when he organises for this donkey to be brought. And he is now going to ride in Jerusalem with them. Now that's very important because it was going to be the fulfilment of Scripture. It was going to be a fulfilment of prophecy. It says in the Old Testament in Zechariah that the king would come riding upon a donkey. And so there was great anticipation of what was happening. But it tells us Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead to get the animal to be brought. Now, was it prearranged? We're not sure. Was there a prophetic word? I don't think it was prearranged because when they took the animal, they, they questioned it. And then they said these words, the Lord needs it. Now, strictly speaking, God doesn't need anything. He is self-sufficient, etc. A whole lot of theology there, but he doesn't. But when Jesus took upon himself the form of a servant, Philippians tells us, he laid aside so many of the attributes. He didn't lay aside his deity. Jesus didn't stop, be, stop being God when he became a man. He was God-man. There was no delegation of that. He may have delegated or, or put aside many of his attributes in that way, taking the form. And one of them was, of course, that Jesus would get hungry, Jesus would sleep. And we find here that Jesus now comes to this place and they're literally um, going to bring this animal so he could ride in in this prophetic statement. But they, he says the word, the Lord needs it. I wonder this morning if there's anything God is saying to you that he needs from you. I wonder if there's some gift, some talent, some ability that really you know God is saying, do you know what? The Lord needs that. I don't know what it might be. I've never felt that my singing voice was in great demand by the Lord. If you've heard me sing, you'll understand why and you'll be glad that God has chosen it that way. But you know, the Lord has need of it. I love that term where the word is the Lord. Again, that's no, it's not a weak word. It really means Lord. God needs it. And before we go any further, I wonder if there is something that God would be saying to you, the Lord needs it a gift, a talent, your voice in witnessing, your voice in praying, your, your, your I, I have no idea what it might be. If I give you a long list, you'll pick the one that's the easiest, you know? But that was it. So even at the beginning of it, there was a humility about Christ, acknowledging that he needed this animal and that they would, of course, ride into Jerusalem on it. Well, that's the preparation. The preparation was that the animal would be brought. The preparation was that they would take off their coats and they would make a sort of a saddle for it. They brought it to Jesus through the cloaks uh, on the colt and put Jesus on it. Almost smiled at the thought of that, that they put Jesus on it. I, Jesus was 33. So, I mean, I mean, he was quite agile at that time, but I love the thought that they got hold of Jesus and they put him on. They helped him up onto this, almost not an enthronement as such, that's preacher's license, but you know, they, they put him on it. And so here we have this tremendous scene where um, Zechariah is telling us that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. He's riding into Jerusalem. He is fulfilling it even in the humility of saying, I need this, the Lord had needs of it. And so the journey continues. The cloaks are placed and the journey then begins. When we get to verse 36, it tells us there that they spread their cloaks on the road. And when they came to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices 
for all the miracles they had seen. This was a very, very important event. We find here that the crowd came up. We're told very simply that it says there, when they came to the place, it says there, the whole crowd of disciples began to worship the Lord, began to joyfully praise God in loud voices. Later on, we know in Jerusalem, there, there were, they were crying for Barabbas. You know, we don't, you know, we don't want them, Barabbas, Barabbas. And it sounds almost like the, the crowd, one minute they're saying Hosanna, the next minute they're crying out for his death. Well, I, I think there were two separate crowds. We're told here these were the disciples. It says the whole crowd began to worship him. The whole crowd. And they were disciples. There were believers, no doubt, coming out of Jerusalem to meet them. And there was the group coming up with Jesus as he went in to the city. And these were the people. So I think later on, the people in Jerusalem, I don't think they were here. I think there were two separate. Now, if you don't agree, that's allowed, by the way. But the word disciple sets them apart. But it says the whole crowd. This is the great sense of unity in this event. They were united in wanting to joyfully praise God for what was happening. We tell, Matthew tells that they got the palm uh, trees, the branches, not palm trees, palm branches, pardon me, and it was a really tremendous event. And the key to it is that they began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. So you imagine this, there's the crowd, there's this prophetic fulfilment, and the crowd are there, and with loud voices. This was not a secret event. This was not Jesus coming in through the back door or through some side way into Jerusalem. This was different from every other time Jesus ever went into Jerusalem. And the reason was he was going up to Jerusalem that he might die. In fact, we're told by one of the gospel writers that the people that let the donkey come were told, don't worry, we will return it to you soon. Jesus wasn't going to need the donkey again because he literally wasn't going to leave Jerusalem or its vicinity again. He was not going to the Sea of Galilee. He wasn't going anywhere else. He had gone up there and we have the Easter week and all the conversations that take place, but he wasn't returning. And so they praised with a loud voice excited about seeing the city of Jerusalem. That alone for pilgrims would have brought joy to their hearts. But the thought that this might be the moment when Jesus would declare himself. On other occasions, they wanted to make Jesus king. And it says he, he slipped away because it wasn't the right time. Had Jesus become king prior to this, he would have been the king of Israel. But now he has become the king of all who believe whichever nationality they might be. And so the excitement is building. The crowd is coming. The, the prophecy is being fulfilled. The cold crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for the miracles they had seen. So this group that were travelling up were pilgrims coming up for the Passover, very important but for the miracles they had seen. One of the gospel writers tells that the raising of Lazarus was a particular miracle that caught the people's attention. The great thing about the miracle of Lazarus was you could go and meet Jesus and you can go and meet Lazarus. They were both alive. Of course, Lazarus died later. So the, the resurrection wasn't to eternal life. It was a resurrection 
as a witness of who Christ was. But the miracles they had seen. You might think, well, do you know, Gordon, I've not seen a lot of miracles. I've got to say I haven't either. So we're in the same boat there. But you know, the Christian can always be joyful in praising God for the miracles they have seen because the greatest miracle that can ever take place is the miracle of new birth, becoming a Christian. When you became a Christian, it was a miracle. The Bible tells you as you went from death unto life, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so you might sit there and say, well, Gordon, I've read about the miracles, I've seen it. And you know, the pastors of this church have been so involved in miraculous things over a period of time, but I haven't. Well, let me tell you now, we always have something to praise God for as long as we remember we've become Christians. Because if we want any miracles in this church and we want more, let me tell you, we're not happy with it. We want more. As long as people are being saved, miracles are taking place. And please, we would want you healed. We would want you restored. We want all these other, of course, we want them as well. But we'd rather you got into heaven than got out of hospital. We really would. Now, if you're in hospital, you probably wouldn't agree with that. But follow the, the theme of it, please. And so the prophecy was there. It says in Matthew 12, 33, could this be the question, the son of David? The term son of David was applied to the Messiah. On previous occasions, Jesus has held back. But on this occasion, there was no doubt about it. He was coming into Jerusalem and he is saying to them all, I am the son of David. I am the Messiah. I am the King. And as I say, a great crowd followed. Said in John 12, blessed is the King of Israel. Now, this caused some problems. Because not only could they see the temple as they came down into Jerusalem, but they could see the citadel where the Roman army was. A bit in a moment, I'll talk about the Pharisees. The Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, tell them to keep quiet. Now, did they do that because they didn't think Jesus was the Messiah? Well, they didn't. Or were they frightened of the Romans? You imagine being Pilate, you're there in Jerusalem and you're told, that I'm going to say hundreds, I don't know if there was thousands, hundreds of people are coming down the hillside. They're declaring that Jesus Christ is the son of David. They're singing, they're shouting, the crowd is excited. What do you do? You send out the soldiers. That was Rome's answer, send out the legion. And the garrison would have been sent out. And I'll tell you now, they'd have done whatever was necessary, sadly, to restore order and to deal with the usurper. Rome might have been happy to have a Herod, a puppet king on the throne, but they were not going to have a king who in any way threatened Caesar's position in the empire. So we can see the tension rising here. They're praising God loudly. They're waving palms. What was the garrison thinking about what was happening? Was the captain in charge saying to the soldiers, get ready lads, I think we'll be moving out in a moment. What was going to happen? Well, we came to this part. It says, Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But there in the story, in verse 39, it says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd. Earlier it said the whole crowd was rejoicing and praising God. But there's almost this addition. The crowd and there were some in the crowd. And there were some Pharisees there. They weren't praising God. 
They weren't acknowledging Jesus. They weren't saying, blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. No way. They were saying, Rabbi, and I'm going to change it. Tell them to shut up. Rabbi, tell them to be quiet. Because they didn't believe theologically it was right. They certainly didn't believe they were fearful for their own lives. Because they ran a very narrow line between Rome and the Jewish state at this time. And they said there, the whole crowd praised, but it says there, some in the crowd. And they said, teacher, immediately. You could tell they were out of step with the crowd. The crowd are singing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowd are saying, Hosanna in the highest. The crowd are waving the palm branches. The whole thing's going on. They're acknowledging that this is the Messiah, the Son of God. They're thinking of other scriptures that come in. A time won't allow me to share with you. A whole raft of scriptures are being fulfilled about the Son of David and Jerusalem. And there's someone in the crowd who wants to change the agenda. You know, there's always someone who wants to stop it. You know, I hope you're not like that. You know, the first sign that you are becoming a Pharisee is that you're more interested in what other people are doing than what you're doing. Oh, look at them. Let me pick on some people. Well, look at those young people. Oh, look at them old people. Oh, look at them. Oh, and you start picking holes in what other people do. The Pharisees did that. They didn't like it. I don't care for what reason, for the fear of the Romans or because they didn't believe Jesus. Either way, they were disrespectful. Everyone else is shouting, King Jesus. They said, Rabbi. There were thousands of rabbis in Israel, but there was only one King of Israel. There were thousands who would have be teachers in Israel, but there was only one who dared get on the donkey and come in and he allowed them to worship. He allowed them to praise. On other occasions it was, keep quiet, you know, you know who I am, let's just keep it to ourselves. Why? Not because Jesus suddenly got immodest. Is there such a word as immodest? I don't know. Not because suddenly he decided that he wanted people. No, no, he was going to die. Prior to that, if he had become king, the cross would have been excluded. He only became king when he rose again. And when he ascended, the Father slid over the throne and allowed Jesus to sit at his right hand. God never got off the throne. He said, plenty of room for you here, son. Come and sit at my right hand. I hope you're not a Pharisee. I hope you're not nitpicking. Now, you know, you might be thinking, well, I don't like your preaching. Well, that's okay because there'll be another one along tomorrow. One thing about this church, you're not, there's always somebody coming along in a minute who might be your cup of tea. But if we haven't got any preachers you like, I think you've got a problem. And you need to repent and get right and start listening to God and not listening to men. Okay, well, we've got the preparation, the donkey. We have the procession. But we come now, What? and I struggle to find the right word for this. It's the word... The, the word passion. It tells us, as they're, verse 42, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, he wept over it. Now, everyone else was rejoicing at seeing the city. They were rejoicing at Jesus. They were rejoicing at the miracles he performed. They were having a great, great time. And if you like, the centre of this great event the one who they 
and were acknowledging. What did he do? He wept. Now, please, some days later, he would be crucified. Some days later, he would be scourged. Some days later, a crown of thorns would put on his head. We could almost have excused him and said, look, if you want to have a few personal moments to sob, you can. He had those in the Garden of Gethsemane. When in the Garden of Gethsemane, before his arrest and before that spiral of events took away, he said, if it's possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. And his father remained silent. And Jesus said these such wonderful words. If it's possible, let this cup, crucifixion, pass from me. You know, but not my will, but thy will be done. We could have excused him standing outside Jerusalem and shedding some personal tears at the horror that he faced. Not only the horror of crucifixion, but the horror of becoming sin for us as he hung on the cross. But he didn't. He wasn't weeping for himself. He was weeping for Jerusalem. As he approached it, he wept over it when he saw the city. And then he says, if you, even you, had known the day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your sight. So he saw the city. He wept for the city. The word to weep is to sob. It wasn't just a, a tear in the side of the eye. It isn't a piece of sentimental music. It wasn't just some photograph from a bygone age that brings back memories. He sobbed. From in him, something came up because he looked at the city and he wasn't looking at the cross and he wasn't looking at the scourging. He wasn't looking at Gethsemane. He was looking at the city and he sobbed for the city. From his inner being, he sobbed and he said these words, if you... Here's the passion. If you, that's Jerusalem. Jerusalem who had a checkered history as far as God was concerned. Some of the prophets lost their lives there. A checkered history. This city that was going to reject Jesus. This city which hours later, pardon me, days later, we're going to shout, Barabbas, Barabbas, had rejected him if you, and then with the sobbing, he said, if you had only known, if only you had known. Jerusalem there with your temple and your Pharisees and your scribes and all the religious hierarchy that Jerusalem afforded. He said, if you, if you had only known, known what? What was it that upset him so much? He said, if only you had known. Who would bring you peace? That's it. You've looked here, there. You've accommodated the Romans. You've kept the high priests and the Pharisees happy. You've kept your religion going. You've defended this. And you've been so busy looking in. You've not looked out and seen that the king is coming to town and they would reject him. If you, only you, 
what known what would bring you peace, but is hidden from your eyes. They missed him. They missed him. Isn't that awful? They missed him. Now, I've got to say that I sometimes miss people. When I was pastoring a church, one of the first things I'd say to the churches is, if I pass you in the street, please, I'm not being rude. I'm preoccupied with other things. Pull my coat and say, you know, hello, Gordon or pastor, whatever you want to call me. Because I can do it. You can miss people in the street. Oh, do you know, Gordon passed me in the street the other day and never said hello. Well, there's two reasons. First of all, I might not like you. (laughs) And maybe I just missed you. Well, they deliberately didn't want to accept him. They didn't. From the day he went up as a little boy and was left behind and was found in the temple talking with the doctors of the law, from the beginning, from his very first visit to his last visit, they really didn't want to know him. If only you had known what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jerusalem, it's too late. You had a chance. Even now, as I'm coming into Jerusalem, I believe even now, if Jerusalem had repented and acknowledged him, but they weren't going to. It's too late. I hope you haven't missed him. If you're not a Christian here, we are so pleased you've come. You're very welcome. You know, you, you really are, but we'd love you to become a Christian. We'd love you not to be in the crowd, but we'd like you to be part of the crowd. We'd like you not to join our church, although we've got room for you if you want to. We want you to come to faith and understand who he is, the Son of God the Son of David, the Saviour of the world. We want you to know that Easter isn't just for us, it's for you as well. I may have said this before, forgive me. I remember as a lad asking my mother, you know, why do they they call it Good Friday? Because as far as I'm concerned, hanging a bloke on a cross wasn't anything good about that. Or she said, she was right. You weren't always right, my mother. But she said, well, it was because it was good for us not good for him. You say, I don't feel included in the church. I feel excluded, please. Do you know, I'm going to sound so rude. Really, that's a red herring. The question isn't, do I feel welcome in church? The question is, do I feel welcome by God? And you are welcome. You are welcome. He died. This Easter is as much yours. You say, well, I don't go to church. It's still your Easter because he was thinking of you and me when he died. The difference is I've asked him to forgive me my sins and you still have the opportunity to do so. Ezekiel 33, 11 says these words, God speaking. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather they turn from their evil ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? That could have been said to Jerusalem by Jesus on this occasion. Behind him, we have the crowds. Hosanna, Hosanna. In the city, they're waiting 
to call for Barabbas. Jesus is there. It says he went ahead of them. He set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. No hesitation, no masochistic ideas, but I'm going, I'm going to die. I'm going to die for those people who are in Kensington Temple in the month of May, two, that month of April, pardon me, 2019. Is it still April? Oh, my goodness. Do you know, I thought I'd lie in then. <laughs> he died for you. He died for me. I take no pleasure, God says, in the death of the wicked, but rather they might turn from their evil ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? God's heart is that you come to him. God's heart is that you acknowledge that this one riding upon the donkey is none other than the Saviour. You say, I've got lots of questions, yes. But how can you deny such love? How can you deny one who goes up to a city knowing what would happen to him when he was not thinking of himself, but he was thinking of you?